You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. If you're, if you're new or if you're just now uh, coming in, we have just started a series this semester working our way through the book of Proverbs. And I tried to say last week that there are some very clear black and white do and don't kind of rules in the world. So, for example, a very clear black and white uh, do and do not do sort of situation would be you do not walk on the seal in Ped Walkway. Am I, am I right or am I right? You don't walk on the seal. And maybe here's a do situation. Uh, I've heard that uh, you do take that class with that professor if there's a chili pepper next to their name. I just heard that's something you do. <laughs> Seems creepy to me. But um, So there are very clear black and white do's and don'ts. But for 95% of your life, those rules don't really apply. It's just sort of gray. And we said last week that wisdom is skill at knowing how to do life in the gray areas where the rules don't really apply. Like what time should you go to bed? How many episodes of making a murderer should you do in a row? Like these, there's no rules that apply to this. Wisdom is knowing how to navigate the gray areas of life. And we're going to continue this conversation by looking at Proverbs. So I'm just going to read one proverb for you, um, chapter 1, verse 22, and then we'll consider it together. It reads this. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. <laughs> Jefferson, can you turn my mic down now? I feel very needy with the microphone tonight. Maybe not so loud, but maybe not so quiet as it was the first time. Like right in the sweet middle spot. Yeah. Hello? That, whatever. I'll project. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? This is the word of the Lord. If you would, let me pray. <laughs> no one can hear me. And uh, we'll look at it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time together. I pray that you would meet us now wherever we find ourselves. I know in a, in a room like this, there are people that come in here in all sorts of different conditions and situations. Some of us are just overwhelmed with school already, already stressed, already worn out. Uh, Some of us come into this room already feeling just incredibly guilty and shameful over decisions that we've made last semester, maybe already this semester, that we regret. Uh, Some of us come into this room uh, really eager and excited and joyful, and um, some of us come into this room really confused and doubting and just sort of skeptical to the whole thing. And uh, wherever we find ourselves, Father, I pray that you would meet us and teach us and open up our eyes and enable us to see the beauty of who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Some of you might know I have a three-year-old son named Reed. And uh, for his whole life, he's been living in, living in, he's been sleeping in a uh, crib. 
which is, <laughs> he's, he's been living in a crib for his whole three-year life. It's a mattress with, you know, four gates up in it. It's basically a mini prison that we throw him in to sleep in so that he can't climb out and run around the house at night. And so over the break, over winter break, we decided uh, that we would transition him to a, quote, big boy bed which means that we just took the front gate off and it kind of enabled him some freedom. He's growing, he's three years old. So we sat down with him and we we're like, try to make a big deal out of this. Like, you're a big boy now, buddy. Uh, we're going to let you sleep in a big boy bed. And so that means you have to stay in the bed all night long. And he's nodding in agreement. We try to make a big deal out of this. So we put him to bed, turn off the lights, close the door, and everything's great. It's quiet until 2.30 a.m. I jolt awake to the sound of him screaming, and I open up our door really quickly, and I see him run past me and run down the hall towards the kitchen. House is dark, and he's just screaming, (laughs) running into the darkness of our house. He's running away from his room, running away from our room, and I'm calling after him, Reed, Reed, I'm running after him. He doesn't hear me. He's just running into the kitchen. I eventually catch up with him, scoop him up, try try to calm him down, wondering what in the world he's doing, take him back to his bed, put him to sleep, and he's fine until he wakes up again. And uh, again the next night. And again the next night and the next night. It's been a... It's been a rough transition to big boy bed. We're, st- we're still in the middle of that turbulence. And, um, but the reason I begin that way is because that picture of him running into the darkness screaming, I think is a really poignant image of what many of us uh, are like as well. Uh, the book of Proverbs is going to say that foolishness or folly, in some sense that describes every one of us in this room, that we're running into the complexity of life blindly, knocking crap off the walls. And even when people are yelling at you to turn around or to listen or to go the other way, sometimes we can't hear them. And um, what we're going to look at tonight in the book of Proverbs is that um, uh, every one of us in this room would be considered a fool. And that is not an insult, according to the Bible. That's not like calling you a moron. It has nothing to do with your intelligence. Foolishness in the Bible is just simply the opposite of wisdom, of being someone that's out of touch with reality, out of touch with how the world works, that we move into the complexity of life without really knowing what we're doing and without really the ability to listen to what we should be doing. So what I want to do tonight is just look at two big ideas. I want to look a little bit more closely at what foolishness is And then how foolishness ends, how it stops, how you stop being a fool. So those are two big ideas. What foolishness is, how foolishness ends. And just to cite my sources, uh, I got a lot of help tonight from uh, a friend of mine, Jeremy Jones, and this guy named Tim Keller, who's not a friend of mine yet. He won't return my phone calls. So first, what foolishness is. Let's look a little bit deeper at what foolishness is. When, the, when Proverbs uses the word fool, it's really, it does it in a really interesting way. It doesn't just define the word. What it does is it paints several different pictures, several different portraits, and gives you a, a picture gallery of these different types of fools that are available for us. And it says, take a look at this gallery, this Instagram feed, and look and see which one of these most resembles your unique type of foolishness. It holds up all these different pictures and says, which ones of these resembles you? 
And, and you get kind of a table of contents in the verse that I just read. If you look at chapter 1, verse 22, you see the three different portraits of the different types of fools. I'm going to read it again. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. You see the difference? It's simple, scoffers, and fools. And these three different character bios are kind of sprinkled throughout the entire book of Proverbs. And so what I want to do is I just want to gather a couple of different Proverbs together that describe each of these different character bios, hold them up for us, and say, which one of these most resembles you? Make sense? So let's look at one of these each at a time. Let's look at what it means when it says simple fools, simple people. Uh, if you look at chapter 9 in your handout, chapter 9 is really interesting. It's a very poetic, I mean, all of, chapter, all of Proverbs is poetic, but 9 is really poetic because it takes this abstract concept called wisdom and it personifies it into this woman figure. And if you look at verse 4, there's this woman calling out to the street, and in verse 4 she says, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. She's calling out for the simple to join her. But if you jump on ahead in chapter 9, look at verse 16. Folly, or foolishness, is personified as a woman as well, calling out as well. Look at verse um, 16. You get the same exact word, same exact invitation. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. You compare verse 4 with verse 16. You've got wisdom saying, come in here. You've got foolishness saying, come in here. And you get this picture of someone who is simple, who hears both voices of wisdom and foolishness. And that's the description of someone who is, quote, simple according to the Bible. They hear foolishness and wisdom, and both voices make sense. Both voices resonate. This is why it says in, in Proverbs fourteen fifteen on your handout, that a simple fool believes everything. If you're a simple fool, this basically means that you're gullible. You're easily influenced. Uh, you're, you're, you live a divided life. You hear and you live your life in con- almost contradictory ways. You're impressionable. Uh, you're so unsure of who you are in your own self because you so either want to fit in or so want people to like you or you just so have to be cool that you'll literally do and believe and say and act in any way that's available. Kind of, if I thought, I'm trying to think about what would be a, the modern version of this person be. And the best idea that I could come up with was Michael Scott from The Office. I mean, you, you remember the episode when Ryan came in with a goatee and then the next day Michael Scott came into the office with a goatee and then uh, Ryan kind of gets weirded out by that and then shaves it. And so then the next day Michael Scott shaves it. He's like, it's just so impressionable, so easily influenced by what's around him. And so if you're someone who is a um, simple person, simple fool in this way, that foolishness and wisdom resonate with you, what this looks like for you practically is that you really do live a divided life. You live a compartmentalized life where you really are trying to bring together contradictory, opposing realities into your life at once, which makes it feel like you're living kind of two lives in the same body. You, You feel like you have alter egos, your, your very existence is kind of schizophrenic in that sense. So uh, what it could look like is that uh, you study your brains out. You have uh, an amazing GPA. You're really working hard to either be an engineer or a, like a doctor or an accountant. And like you get drunk four nights a week. Like you see how these, like, these 
these pictures don't fit together, and yet you're bringing them together in your own life. Or, or maybe you're someone that says, yeah, I totally believe and sign off on the Bible's view of sex and sexuality, and maybe you uh, even disagree and argue with people that uh, disagree with you about that, and yet you're the person that's like hooking up with people, or like having sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or like up to your ears in porn, and you're like, you see, like these, like these don't fit, like these these realities don't fit in the same person, and yet we've made it available to do that. Or you're like a Christian leader on campus, and you're like cheating your way through all your classes. You, you see, like a simple person lives a divided life, two lives at once, wisdom and foolishness in the same person. And so the Proverbs it basically holds up this picture and says, look at it, be honest with yourself, and ask yourself the question, is this me? Am I the simple fool, according to Proverbs? Am I gullible? Am I impressionable? Do I just kind of do whatever the crowds are doing? If that's you, then the Bible says that you're, you're, you're a simple fool, and you're slowly destroying your life. Well, here's the second portrait. There's the simple. Let's look at these things called scoffers. What's a scoffer? Well, the other word that the Bible uses for this is mocker. Shows up 17 times in the book of Proverbs. Look at uh, chapter 21, verse 24. The primary characteristic of a scoffer is this. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So here's somebody who is defined by unflinching, blinding pride. They are uh, their favorite subject of conversation. They have an inflated view of themselves and their abilities. Uh, You know, when it gets to be the weekend and people are trying to figure out what to do, they really only want to do what they want to do. They could really kind of care less what everybody else wants to do. And uh, over and over throughout the book of Proverbs, it shows how scoffers respond to criticism. Tons of different times. I just gave you one in your handout. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. It says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Here's what this is saying. When a simple person is criticized, they're just devastated because they they don't have the inner fortitude to handle criticism. But when a scoffer is criticized, they pay you back. You feel abused by ever challenging them. Uh, They ridicule you. They roll their eyes at you and make you feel stupid and small for ever challenging them, ever uh, bringing something to them that goes against how they think about the world. Uh, In their heart of hearts, scoffers and mockers are just... They're just cruel. They're ruthless. And the, the modern equivalent to this, I try to think, maybe it would be Mean Girls, uh, the movie. Uh, maybe it would be Frank Underwood, who is just so self-interested that they're just literally will not maybe not literally willing, they're figuratively willing to claw your eyeballs out to, uh, you know, if you ever cross them. This is what a scoffer is. And these are the kind of people where uh, you have a friendship with them, and the friendship's going great, but they ditch you as soon as something better comes along. Because they're willing to sacrifice people and relationships in order to get ahead in life. Or maybe you're romantically involved with a scoffer type, and you feel like the relationship is going great, but they break up with you just because they found something better. And uh, this is the kind of person that is always going from friend group to friend group to friend group because they're just always motivated by getting ahead in life. People in relationships just kind of get in the way of what they're after. That's what a scoffer is basically 
about. And so here's the question. Second portrait held up. Is that you? Do you respond to criticism with aggression? Do you go from friend group to friend group to friend group just because you're only motivated by what interests you? Uh, You would be considered a scoffer, and you're slowly destroying your life. Last category of fool. Uh, It's the word fool. And there's actually three different word fools in Hebrew that's used throughout Proverbs, but the one that's used here is the one that's used the most. It's 50 times, and it basically just means um, stubborn, obstinate. Look look at um, verse 26, verse 11. It gives you kind of this graphic image to describe what a fool is like fundamentally. This may be my favorite proverb in the whole thing. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. It's a pretty graphic image because it's this idea of foolishness being um, somebody that hasn't learned their lesson. If a dog ate something that was nasty and unsettling to its system, it may, you know, it, that's why it threw up. But by going to the vomit and eating it, it's only going to unsettle its stomach again and make it do the exact same thing. And so you get this picture of what a fool is. A stubborn fool is someone that, that basically lives their life of, I'm going to do what I want to do without any regard for how that damages yourself or other people, without any memory of how you've damaged yourself or other people in the past. You don't learn your lesson, in other words. That's what a stubborn, kind of obstinate fool would be. And maybe a practical description of this would be, if you're a stubborn fool type, maybe you're the type that does like to go out and... Uh, Drink a little bit, maybe get a little hammered, get a little blitzed, a little schwisted. And, 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 and so you, you, you drink too much, you get wild, and you wake up the next day, and you just it feels like death has come over you. Where it's like your head is split in half, your whole body is just aching, you've thrown up everywhere, you know that you've made a fool of yourself. And you say, I am never doing that again. Like, I have got to chillax with this stuff. And then, like, that night you do it again. Or, like, that weekend you do it again. Right? This is the person that hasn't learned their lesson. And you can just substitute anything you want in that equation. Porn, smoking, going too far with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's this idea of, oh, I messed up. Wake up the next day. Oh, that was horrible. Make a promise. I'm never doing it again. And then in 48 hours you do it again. This is a picture of the stubborn, obstinate fool. And, if, and, and here's another characteristic about the fools. They don't listen. Uh, mocker, scoffer types, if they're hard-hearted, uh, stubborn fools are hard-headed. They're argumentative. They um, love to verbally spar off. They, they love to kind of get in little arguments and fights and validate their own opinions by showing everybody else how they're all stupid because they know everything about everything. And it makes having discussions with these kind of people really not fun. Because they're just always shutting people down and they're not open, they're, not, they're, they're inflexible, they're closed up, and they're argumentative. And actually, even though they, they, they may win the battles, they lose the war because they lose friends over this. People don't want to be around people that are always argumentative and uh, inflexible. You're not taken seriously in the long run. And when someone criticizes a stubborn fool type, how does does a stubborn fool type respond? Well, mockers pay you back, right? They punish you. 
Stubborn fools just make excuses. Uh, They're defensive. They have a million explanations because they know everything. It it was not my fault. It's, uh, I'm having a bad day. It wasn't my fault. Uh, It's this class that I'm taking. I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. Right? There's always an excuse for everything. And uh, I try to think of an example, modern version of this, I think would be Walter White. No one can ever talk to Walter White. Maybe the better example is Nick Miller from um, uh, New Girl, where um, Ellie sent me this uh, YouTube clip of him trying to go through a door that says pull, and he's trying to push through it, and it's not budging. He's just banging on it over and over. He says, I'll do what I want to do, just slamming the door over and over, and then says, I hate doors. Um, And so here's the question. Is this you? Here's this portrait that's held up. Is this you? When you receive criticism, do you have a million excuses? Uh, are you stubborn? Do you learn your lesson? Do you, do you promise I'm never going to do it again and then do it again over and over and over and the pattern keeps going? You're the stubborn fool. And the Bible says you're slowly destroying your life. So you see what Proverbs is doing. What foolishness is, it's not just one thing. There's a variety. There's a, lots of different nuances and shades and types of different fools. And it's holding up this picture gallery and saying, let's be honest for a second and figure out which one of these is me. One of my favorite movies is uh, the movie Magnolia. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I, don't, I, pro- I can't recommend it officially because it's so graphic and obscene, and, uh, but it's an amazing movie. It's three hours long, and it really uh, explores the life of 13 main characters in the film. Um, it's got an amazing cast, uh, but they're all fools. They're all just, just carnage everywhere in each of their lives, and about two-thirds of the way through the movie, there's this really interesting montage where there's a song playing, and it's kind of showing you images of all the different characters and just the wreckage of their life. And the song that's playing in the background is a song by Amy Mann called Wise Up. I want to read you the first verse of this song. It says this. It's not what you thought when you first began it. You got what you want. Now you can hardly stand it. Though by now you know it's not going to stop till you wise up. It's not going to stop till you wise up. And I think that's so true. You think about the foolishness of your own life, the foolishness of my life, and we look at the damage that's being done in our lives and the lives of the people that we are around, it's not going to stop until we wise up. And so this is the last question I want to look at with you, is how do you make the foolishness stop? How do you make it end, and how do we wise up? How do we become wise? Well, this is the last thing I want to look at with you, and just three quick ideas on how you make the foolishness end. Here's the first way. First thing that you need to do if you want the foolishness to end and for you to actually wise up is this. Admit that you're a fool. That's the first step. Admit you're a fool. Look at Proverbs um, chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. It says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Be not wise in your own eyes. You know what that's saying? Don't think you're wise. Admit that you're a fool. This first step requires you and I to be brutally honest. That every, almost every impulse and instinct that we have is self-destructive, self-centered, and foolish. 
Almost every instinct that we have is self-destructive, consumeristic, prideful, arrogant, and foolish. We have to admit that we're fools. C.S. Lewis has this great image where he says, if you have a, if you have a field full of grass and, and you don't want grass anymore, you want wheat to grow instead. Uh, you don't just mow the grass. Because if you mow the grass, even though you're, you're bringing it down some, what's going to happen in just you know, a little bit of time? The grass is going to come back. He says, if you want wheat instead of grass, you have to rip up the entire field. Plow it up, dig it up, and then plant some new seeds. And I think it's a helpful image because especially with this new year, and we're all making New Year's resolutions, and we all want to make some changes as we look down the barrel of a new year, kind of a fresh start. And uh, you know, so we, we say things like, I want to wake up early and read. Uh, I want to eat better. I want to exercise more. Like we all have our little resolutions, and those are not bad per se. But I want you to, I want you to answer the question in your own heart. Do, do those resolutions go deep enough? Are you just mowing the surface of, of a foolish life? Or, or, or do you need to go deeper? Because to admit that you're a fool means that you have to dig up the entire field. You have to rip up everything that you ever thought was true about reality in yourself and to say, every instinct, every thought, every impulse I've had, even my New Year's resolutions to try to better myself are just reinforcing a life that's destructive and prideful and foolish. Admit that you're a fool. It's the first step. It's the hardest step, but it's the first step to becoming wise. Here's the second step. Not just admit that you're a fool, but embrace the fool. What do I mean by that? Well, in Proverbs chapter 9, again, you get this image of Lady Wisdom who's calling out for people to come in and feast with her. And she sends her maidens, she sends her little uh, agents to go into the streets to invite people and bring people to come in and feast with her. And centuries later, God doesn't send agents anymore. He just says, I'm going to come myself. I'm going to come down myself and invite people. In John chapter 1, the word that is used to describe Jesus is the word, word. In the beginning was the word, which is the Greek word, logos. If you had a Greek worldview at the time, logos was the word that meant reason, rationale, or wisdom. John chapter 1 is beginning by saying this, Jesus is wisdom incarnate. He is the very wisdom of God. Wisdom comes and invades a world full of fools, which is why everything that he did made no sense to anybody. Think about how Jesus was born. The world thought if Jesus was a king, the son of God, he should not be born in an animal trough in a barn. That makes no sense. He should be born with like trumpets and like gold and like fanfare. This is, the, this is not how God should show up. And think about how Jesus lived. Uh, Jesus spent his life hanging out with scrubs and losers and the outcasts of society. And the world thought if Jesus is really the king, if he is God incarnate, he should be like dining with royalty and going from important meetings with important people to other important meetings with other important people. This is not how God should behave. And think about how Jesus died. Jesus said, I have come to redeem the world, to conquer sin and evil. And we say, okay, well, show me how you do it. And he says, okay, the way that I'm going to do that is uh, I'm going to uh, allow myself to be captured and tortured and suffocate on a cross. 
Like the world looks at his whole life from beginning to end and thinks this is stupid. Jesus' game plan from day one to promote his name and to save the world was through the strategy of obscurity, weakness, and suffering. That was his game plan. And the whole world thought, that's idiotic and insane. But here's what's crazy. He was actually right. You know how he's right? Because uh, here we are 2,000 years later in Knoxville, Tennessee, talking about him. He really is wise. The way up really is the way down. The way to get glory is really to go through suffering. The last really are the first. The way that you get power is to give up power. Uh, The way that you win is that you lose. The world looks at this and thinks, that's insane. This makes no sense. And if you want to become wise, you have to embrace the one that the world calls the fool. The one that has given up everything for you. And if you're willing to admit that you're a fool, to embrace the fool that the world calls a fool, then the last thing that you have to do is you have to be willing to become a fool. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, If anyone wants to be wise, you must become a fool that you may be made wise. Here's what this is saying. When you admit that you're a fool and you embrace the foolishness of the cross, the rest of the world is going to think that you're an idiot. The rest of the world is going to think that you're a fool for the rest of your life. That you've committed intellectual suicide. If you're, the, if you're a person and you live your life like this, that glory and status and recognition and power doesn't matter to you anymore, and you think that God works through weakness and suffering and difficulty, and you think that the best life to be lived is a life that's committed to obscurity and humility and service. If you go out and start living like that, your sorority is going to think you're nuts. Like your fraternity is going to think you're a freak. Uh, your, your professors are going to think you're a fool. Your family might think you're a fool. Your friends might think you're a fool. Your classmates might think that you're a fool. But if you're not willing to become a fool for Jesus, what this means is that you're still going to be a fool. You're just going to be the simple or the mocker or the stubborn fool type. Like there's no other alternative. You're going to be a fool one way or another. You can be the world's fool or you can be Christ's fool. But to do that means that you have to lose um, status and lose respect and maybe even lose friends, and that's really scary. But if you want to be wise, if you want the foolishness to end, then this is what you do. You admit that you're a fool. You embrace the fool that is Jesus Christ. And you become willing to become a fool in the eyes of the world for his sake. That's how the foolishness ends. That's how wisdom gets cultivated. What are you going to do? That's your invitation tonight. Let me pray. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it exposes us, for the way that it undoes us, and for the way that it doesn't just crush us, but actually invites us into life, freedom, joy. Father, I pray that you would... Enable us to see ourselves rightly, even if what we see uh, might be ugly in our eyes. I pray that you give us the courage and the honesty to admit our flaws and our failures and our weaknesses and to admit that almost every impulse in our heart and in our mind 
is destined towards self-destruction. Father, give us the freedom and the courage to admit what is true about us, to fall upon the one who has grace and mercy for us, and let the whole world ridicule us, if it be. Father, would it be true of me? Would it be true of these folks here tonight? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.